0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And
1: this is Dan Abuhoff.
0: With Tamson and Dan, read the paper on February 27th, Ooh, 2022. It's
1: late in the month.
0: It is. It's gone.
1: Yeah. Thank goodness. Well, February's not the greatest month. Nobody loves February.
0: Well, it's not as bad as March.
1: No, no. March is a good month. March, March is bleak. March doesn't No, March you know, is bleak. It goes it's like in like a February, lion. February,
0: you can say that yeah. it's, it's still, you know, winter. Yeah. And you're dealing with winter. And when mm-hmm. it's over, you say, thank goodness... Winter's gone. Yeah. Spring must be here, right? You know, you yeah. got uh, yeah. your, um, you know, uh, Ash Wednesday. You got Mardi Gras. You know, you got things pointing towards spring. You got uh, March um, Madness. Uh, no, March what? Madness. You have St. Patrick's Day. It what seems month are we talking like
1: about now? St. Patrick's Day. We're in talking March. about
0: March. Seems like it should be yeah. a happy month, right. but it's really the reason there's all that festivity is it's another bleak month. No, it goes. It's in, not goes spring, spring in yet.
1: Like a lion, and out like a lamb. I got news
0: for you. The weather, yeah. the weather lady says it's going to come in like a lamb. Oh, this, good, even better. Even so better. It, it's like you can't count on anything. Oh, yes, you can. March oh, is the please. month. Plus,
1: plus, you know, the beginning of March is your birthday. You realize that. We have to give a shout-out. You know, shout out. Yeah,
0: I was having a good day till you said that. <laughs> it's coming,
1: that's why you're uh, somewhat, you know, reluctant to get into March. It's your birthday coming up. Happy birthday. That will be in a few days. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I'm looking forward to eating some cake. That might work out. We might be able to get you a cake. I made you a cake last year.
0: Yes, it was. because the, the kitchen is still showing signs. <laughs> like it's a, I a, hear more about a little how bit did... of melted chocolate on the ceiling. Oh,
1: and I you know it was done with real ingredients. It's yeah. not like I bought really the uh, still bought frosting. I went uh, from natural, you know, full gourmet. You went full, full gourmet. gourmet. You're right. It was a mess afterwards, but it was uh, you, worth it, right? It, it, you know,
0: shockingly enough, it was delicious. Yes, it Thank was an amazing much. cake.
1: Okay, good. That's all you have to say. All right, so look, we're not, uh, you know, the Ukraine situation is a serious situation. We're not going to dwell on that. There's plenty of news on it, but we did find one article that related that.
0: Well, we're sensitive to the new Ukraine. Well, we have situation. friends who are Ukrainian. We well, you, you had uh, my roommate, roommate yeah. Bodan Peritko, and uh, uh...
1: Ukrainian, and he's quite into the U- Ukrainian uh, cultural scene. And in fact, we went to his wedding at a Ukrainian resort some years ago named Soyasufka in Upstate New York, right, which still exists. Still exists. So there's a certain, you know, fondness. Yeah.
0: When we think of, and you told me Ukraine. that
1: there are cabins there that are named after particular cities in the Ukraine, including. Kiev. That's true.
0: Even though, we, even though we think fondly of the Ukraine, we know nothing about it. Yeah. Outside of, you know, Baudin. what a wedding is like, and um, uh, I never, you know, I was noticing, I was looking through the possible houses or cabins cottages you could rent yeah. at Soyasivka. and one of them is called Kiev, and i never heard of Kyiv yeah. before this week when yeah. all the reporters are reporting from Kiev. yeah so uh, anyway that's uh, a tough situation and um there are lots of concerns uh lots of important concerns one of them is uh sort of the uh, cultural riches of the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And so there's a headline in the arts section of the New York Times uh, about the new monuments men uh, surveying the, the, uh, you know, the cultural treasures of the Ukraine. And, uh, you know, they have for months, uh, they've already been monitoring uh, using satellite imagery, uh, you know, the uh, cathedrals, historic buildings, museums, uh, you know, sacred uh, burial sites, etc., um, in the Ukraine. Uh, they mention uh, the Times mentions in particular a um, Hayden Bassett, an archaeologist, just and director of the Cultural Heritage Monitoring Lab at the Virginia Museum of Natural History. And uh, so they're involved, but you remember the monuments, spend from uh, the movie yeah, you saw, right? Sure.
1: with George Clooney.
0: With George Clooney. It was a book, and it was all about uh, specialists in the Army. Was it all Army? I didn't
1: say it. You saw it on an airplane. Oh,
0: right. Like. Yeah. It, um, anyway, and, and I've forgotten all the details, but anyway, the... <laughs> The United States worked pretty hard to locate a lot of the uh, treasures that were absconded by Mm -hmm. the artistic treasures that were absconded by the Nazis in World War II. Mm -hmm. And uh, things were hidden in salt mines, Uh, the Ghent Altarpiece. You know, we've talked about this before. Very uh, important treasures, uh, you know, um, Hitler and his uh, buddies trying to, you know, take the European cultural heritage for themselves uh, uh, for their new world or whatever, or their, um, to decorate their homes. But, um, and so that was an effort that involved men who were already in the U.S. military Mm -hmm. and happened to have skills Mm -hmm. that could be applied to this kind of, um, you know, research and you know finding this stuff and identifying it um and uh this time around they're they're trying to put together a commission to do this but rather than you know just sniffing around in the army to find out if anybody has the skills they're you know having people apply for the positions and it's taking a long time to uh get these people together, to have them both pass the, um, you know, sort of uh, academic intellectual um, job uh, requirements that are involved, but also to qualify to be in the army. Um, They have to submit documentation and prepare for the army physical test, which they will take once commissions involves Lifting a a sixty-pound weight three times, throwing a ten-pound medicine ball, doing consecutive push-ups for two minutes, sprinting and dragging and carrying a weight, leg tucks or planks, and a two-mile run. I I, got to say, I know nobody in the art (laughs) Um, world—you know, art historian or um, gallerist or you know anybody who um, could do that—could apply. Uh, For given that basis, so it's going to take a while. They have um, uh, twelve people selected, uh, but you know they're going to be doing very important work, not just in the Ukraine, but in all you know many many areas. They've also uh, you know other places: uh, Honduras, Haiti, um, East Africa, uh, all over, uh, um, more places in Russia as well. um, Just trying to kind of. Take some responsibility and save uh, these arts. As you remember, much was uh, destroyed. There was a lot of looting and uh, destruction that happened with the war in Iraq, yeah, sure. etc. And uh, in, in many places, uh, people are taking advantage of the disarray of war to uh, loot and, it, in some cases, sell the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, to finance yeah. Um, their Yeah, tax, look, obviously
1: not the first concern in U- the Ukraine, but it's, it is something people are focusing on.
0: Well, I hope they do find these guys, <laughs> yeah. uh, these men and women yeah. uh, who qualify to do this work. Yeah. Although, why they really need... I don't know.
1: Maybe they need to carry the 60-pound weight because they'll be carrying the art with them. And I may, don't know. Maybe they can outsource it. Maybe they can get Matt Damon. I think he was in the movie. He can probably <laughs> handle it. right? Um. Okay, so there was an article in the arts and leisure section. At times. It, was, it was robust, it was a lot of advertising. I don't know why. There's not many shows now, but I guess they're anticipating a lot of shows coming on. And um, What do you mean? It was a very thick arts and leisure section. And, and they're well, they're com- hoping... It will th- come back. Everybody's hoping to revive. Right. And they're it's advertising in- all these shows that aren't yet open that are going to open in the next months. And one of the shows that they identify, for which they have no date, but for which they have a full-page advertisement and a long article is a new production of Funny Girl, which is interesting because there hasn't been a full-stage revival of Funny Girl since the original in the early 60s. And Funny Girl, of course, being the show about uh, Fanny Bryce, who is uh, a singer and burlesque comedian who, in the, uh, I'll say, the first half of the 20th century, um, played famously... Um, by Barbara Streisand, it was the vehicle for which, by which Barbara Streisand became a huge star and became a movie. And she right. won the Academy Award. Right. Do you really think
0: it's worth reviving? Yes,
1: uh, that, that's see, that's an interesting question. That's what I wanted to speak to and I knew I could count on you for that question. Funny Girl, when I was growing up, and although I don't think this answers your question exactly, was the show. If you would have asked me when I was ten years old, what's the the most famous, most prominent, most important Broadway show ever, it would have been. Funny Girl, and the reason is because I was a Jewish youngster living growing a up Jewish in Long main Island. Character, Jewish it's a Jewish like main that. character. Yeah. So if you were in a Jewish community, that was the show. And, and what's interesting about it was, um, but and by the way, I could tell you more than any other show, I could name the songs in Funny Girl in order from beginning to end. Even though very few songs are famous. I mean, don't what, know,
0: what's the song? You know, I mean, in the, what there are some. Famous songs. There's no doubt about that. Don't rain on my
1: parade. Yeah. People.
0: Right. Uh, but the one that I get a kick at when I'm listening to the radio is the one where her
1: mother, her yeah. mother and I, father. We, we taught her everything she knows. It's not her and her father. It's her and a Broadway producer. Oh, a Broadway producer. Yes. Okay and she knows and how
0: you know how she's gone on she's a big star right. she's forgotten about mom it hurts that's me. just a great little song about a mother's relationship to right. their it's, kid it's, it's, the
1: line is it hurts me to say it but why not be fair when you're see her on the stage you're seeing me there that's the, yes. that's the line uh yeah so but it was a huge hit in terms of my community all right uh-huh. and of course that year and then of course, it made a megastar out of Barbara Streisand. And that year, it competed in the Tonys. Uh, it was up for eight Tony Awards, 1964 Tonys. And in each category, it was up against Hello Dolly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in each category, it lost. And so we were sitting there in Long Island going, What is this Hello Dolly? What, what are they
0: talking <laughs> wait, wait, about? Wait a minute, what year was this?
1: 1964. Okay. Okay. It probably was on in 63. So did you have 64. the
0: album and your family oh, played on, on, it all the time? I all
1: played it to death. Okay. okay. Um, so it's a big time musical. It is written by um, Joel Stein wrote the music and Bob Merrill wrote the words. Now mm-hmm. there is one other uh, well there are two other uh, musicals that they wrote famously. One is uh, Carnival which mm-hmm. you remember and the other one even closer to your heart two years before they wrote Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. <laughs> okay. So that's a little range for you. Uh, and, of course, Jules Stein had a little success before that um, with Gypsy uh, for which he had a different lyricist, a guy named uh, Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to him. But uh, this was the Not show. Not that Fanny Brace comes close to Mr. Magoo. Christmas <laughs> i knew you were going to say that too those are
0: brilliant songs these are, i can name every song honey. I, I funny well enough. we can sing every song maybe that will be a special podcast, podcast. next christmas no one wants to we'll hear put it. that together
1: so so people are asking the same question uh, different than you you're saying should be revived the times are saying how comes it hasn't been revived and it ran for a long time it's very popular uh and they say uh it's because you know the shadow of barbara streising who could live up to Barbara Streisand. Right, right, right. right, right. But but, but 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 you know something? Uh you know, Carol Channing was a big figure, Julie Andrews was a big figure. Uh and yet uh Hello Dolly, My Fair Lady, those are revived. Well, actually My Fair Lady not so much that I find myself saying that. But, okay, maybe there's something there. But but here's here's my theory, okay? My theory is this. Number one, um Carol Channing, Hello Dolly. That's a show, it's based on a famous Play uh what's it called again? The matchmaker, Mm -hmm. Thornton Wilder, I believe. Uh it's well constructed, a lot of characters, the songs are kind of evenly distributed. Uh Funny Girl Um is basically Barbara Streisand concert.
0: Well, it's a it's a vaudeville
1: review. But it's her, it's her. Everyone's eight out of ten songs are her. Actually, it is it is kind of funny how it came about. You know, it's of course it's her romance with Nick Arnstein, The Gambler. It came about to begin with because there was a producer named Ray Stork, who was well-known, who was married to a woman named um, Frances Ornstein. Guess who's, who her mother was? was? Fanny Bryce. And that's how they put it together. But it is, it's is—it's not much of a story. Okay? All right. But, but a uh, lot but of
0: most musicals are, are not, not much of a story. story. But
1: it's still hard to replace part of Strife. But here's my real theory. Here, here's my real theory, okay? My real theory is this. This was, in the Jewish community, which is a big part of Broadway audience, the show. In 1964, but it was immediately supplanted by a bigger Jewish musical the very next year, which was Fiddler on the Roof. The roof, yeah. and that's why I think it got put aside. So, in any event, we'll see. I don't, I don't know if that holds. Yeah, yeah I made it up. Okay, it's, it's it's a creative theory. How's that?
0: Is, is there some like uh, Broadway director on high who's proclaiming? You know, there can only be one Jewish
1: revival per no, century no, or something? No, no, no. but I mean, I, I think the the audience, I mean, I'm, I can't tell you how how prominent this show was in our community. It was, it was, I understand. And they would stop talking about it. Even Jewish community. people have the ability
0: to go to more than one show.
1: I understand. Within a few years. Look, but but then you can't have to answer the question why it was revived. You know, they say... I think
0: it's the Barbra Streisand Well, they thing.
1: say that every few, the last 10, 15 years, every year, Jack Vertel, the guy who ran Encores, Mm-hmm. would call the people who owned the property. Say, can we do it? Can we do it? And they'd say, no, we had this nibble, we got that nibble. And they talk about little revivals they were thinking of doing. So it's been in the air, but they can't, maybe it's the shadow of Barbra Streisand. Yeah. I don't know. And also maybe. her story was so intertwined with the funny girl's story, which was the emergence of a star, completely unknown, not necessarily an obvious candidate. And that's, that's who Barbara Streisand was.
0: So it's the bar all right, so we'll look forward to the yeah or the Streisand or or let's go at, let's listen to the cast
1: it. album again I'll have you listen to it. you'll see it my way
0: yeah, we'll do a little soft shoe to the I taught her everything we she knows <laughs> okay um so I noticed an obituary in The Wall Street Journal, and of course you had noticed it as well duval hecht mm-hmm. uh, who it turns out what what intrigued me was um. That uh, he, I guess, came up with uh, books on tape.
1: Yeah, he created books on tape.
0: He was a um, marketing manager for a securities firm and uh, had a commute into downtown LA and was frustrated by what he thought was boring news and boring music, nothing to listen to. Bad music and worse news, he said. Um, So he figured out, uh, he played around trying to figure out how to, um, you know, uh, I guess tape books and find books to tape. And uh, he came up with this. Um, Partly, he found, he funded his original company partly by selling his 10-year-old Porsche,
1: That's, that's that so, a good, good investment. But he's
0: also interesting
1: yeah.
0: for everything else he did. Yeah. Um, And that is he was a gold medalist in rowing Yeah. in 1956 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, So that's... Actually, I should tell you, he went to the Olympics twice. He went in 52 and 56. He won in 56. Right. Okay. And he rowed in a pair without, which is a, there's two oarsmen, there's no coxswain, and the boat is steered by one of the rowers who has a foot pedal. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Um, so
0: we should mention he went to Stanford. Yeah. It looks like he thought he was going to be a, a football player. He did not make the team. Yeah.
1: Uh, but he
0: was recruited to uh, rowing.
1: Well, he was too small. He was six foot one, 185, uh, which they said was too small for football, but he could row. Now, if you showed up at the campus of a college and said, I'm 6'1", one, 185, I want to row, they would laugh in your face. So that kind of cuts you out. Well, maybe it cuts me out, but uh, the more important thing is what it cut him out because the average height of a heavyweight, and I think he, I assume he was a heavyweight, uh, oarsman is now six foot five. So there you go. Yeah, no, Times I,
0: I believe it. Yeah. And in fact, I know most of your friends when you were rowing at Princeton. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are, there are pictures of you. You are the shortest guy, the, 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 the small guy there. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, he but but anyway, so he, he came up with this idea and um he uh you know there were a few you know i guess there were a few sort of competing businesses out there but they tended to be abridged versions of books with uh, you know big time actors reading them and he stuck to a formula of unabridged books even if it meant millions of tapes and uh and uh, you know having Lesser known mm-hmm. uh, voice actors do it. Uh, the tapes worked because right when he was, you know, figuring this out, cars were coming equipped with a tape player. Right. I and I would. Uh, you, were,
1: I, you were looking, looking to see the books on tape.
0: Yes, or I right? borrowed them at the library. The oh. library had an excellent mm. selection of uh, books on tape, and I would borrow them and use them on my For, commute because I.
1: In this company,
0: probably, yes. You know what? I generically, I only talked about books on tape. I'm mm-hmm. reading books on tape. I don't, I, I didn't even know it was a company. It's just, you know, probably that's was. what they are, probably right? Was. Okay, so um, he's highly uh, successful. Mm-hmm. Um, people rented these, uh, they bought them, etc. And in 2001, he sells the company to. Um, Random House for about twenty million dollars. Right. So what's he going to do now?
1: Right. Yeah. So well, that's the funny part. Okay. So you want to? Well, he first of all, he he decides he's unemployable. Well, I mean, he, had, he I should say, as a background, he had been in the Marines. Been in the Marines, he had been a pilot. Right. And he had worked but for he, Pan Am for a year. Yeah, but he boring. found
0: that boring. He boring. said it was like driving a bus. Right.
1: Okay. So, so now here he but is. But he's
0: also, meanwhile, during all of this, I think, he's coaching, coaching you know, yeah. and he's founding, you know, helping to found and fund teams right. at various schools. All right. So, so now he
1: he's bored. He says he's unemployable and he gets a job as a long haul truck driver. And uh, he, which is crazy. But that's what he did for a while. His wife would go with him. And he bought
0: his own truck.
1: He bought his own truck. He did
0: it for seven years.
1: And uh, guess what? And he, he listened
0: to a lot exactly. of books on tape. He listened tape.
1: to books on tape as he drove across the country, um, which is, I guess, uh, poetic justice, right? Uh, he loved books on tape. And uh, there he is driving his truck. And uh, crazy. Huh? You know, it, it's funny. You know what his first book on tape was? Well, you don't know. I'll tell you. No. That uh paper lion the george plimpton book oh really yeah
0: right so yeah so yeah. anyway i found that a it's, very it's interesting kind of life guy, to read about amazing guy. duval hecht
1: yeah yeah um so here's another amazing guy um john von neumann john von neumann i was going to say he was a mathematician slash physicist but that doesn't do him uh justice Again, we're talking the first half of the 20th century. There is a We're talking about it because there was a book called The Man from the Future, The Visionary Life of John von Neumann, which is written by a person named Ananyu uh, and von John von Neumann was born like the early 1900s. He lived 52 years, so he died in 1957. Uh, and as described... Was, he was Hungarian. Uh, he was Hungarian, but he came to the U.S. And so as described... By uh, by Stephen Budiansky, who's taking this information from this biography, uh, he uh, was a fantastic uh, pioneer in pure mathematics and physics. He revolutionized the foundations of quantum mechanics uh, in the nineteen twenties. He solved the crucial problem of employing high explosives to compress a sphere of plutonium in the first atomic bomb, he co-authored the best-selling book that launched the field of game theory. He developed key concepts of nuclear deterrence, and he conceived the fundamental architecture used in every computer that was produced in the future, even though there were no computers at that time. Uh, In other words, he was a genius genius, which is why he he is uh, called for the purpose of the biography, um uh the man from uh what did i say the man from the future it's almost as if he were dropped from a different time it didn't make any sense uh the book is and i've heard of von neumann as have you we were both familiar because von neumann's name was dropped all the time at princeton right when we were there although he
0: wasn't at the university you pointed out to me he was at the institute it's, for advanced as Studies. was einstein
1: whose name yeah. was dropped all yeah. the time and he's in that league and i think his office was next to einstein's yes um,
0: einstein complained
1: about von Neumann? About his music. He is that right? I didn't he, catch played,
0: that. he played very loud German march music. Is that right? Is according can't. to Wikipedia, I don't yeah. really know. But, um, and he complained. apparently, he liked to work with uh, a lot in, in the chaotic circumstances, and that uh, he did his best work at home in the living room with the TV on, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: well, they say, I mean, guys like this, you can't relate. First of all, he's a genius from the word go. Uh, You know, as a boy, he taught himself calculus. He fluently mastered English, French, Latin, and classical Greek. He memorized entire stretches of a 40 plus volume of history of the world, etc., etc. And um, anyway, it's hard to really contrast. He also was a, uh, they say he loved life. He uh, was a terrible driver, they mention. Uh, yes, yes. He, yeah, he, loved, like he loved
0: to drive. And
1: he, and he would drive it into trees or something like Right, that. Yeah, it they, is crazy.
0: was one uh, At one point, he's consulting uh, for um, stuff that leads up to IBM. Yeah. And uh, one of the things they do is pay all his his um, tickets, his driving. <laughs> <laughs> they take care of his right. problems there. But also, he, he loved to eat and drink. Yeah. And his wife says he could count everything but calories. Oh, that's funny. So I mean, he seems like a pretty uh, fun. He he loved uh, like uh, Yiddish um, jokes and really? off-color
1: stories and yeah. things like that. So he's, he's well. Quite they a guy. also say here he was famous for the endless flow of powerful martinis at unbuttoned cocktail parties. Ooh, unbuttoned at his luxurious home in otherwise stuffy Princeton. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I I didn't Google it. But
0: uh, the article I read mentioned that the house he lived in was one of the largest white mansions. Yeah, it's probably in, in the Great in Road or something like that. Yeah. Well, there, there are some serious
1: mansions yeah, there. Yeah. But... Well, it, it, anyway, so the book uh, I ha- I think I'm going to have to read this book. I mean, I, they they say that uh, it's brilliant in one way and lacking in another. Uh, it's 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 lacking in the sense that they feel it's not really a biography. It's more about his work. But that's fine with me. Uh, As for his work, they say a pair of chapters on game theory, for example, deftly explains what it's all about, traces the revolutionary impact uh, on what he was doing that it had on everything from economics and nuclear targeting to biology and bluffing strategies in poker, employs vivid examples ranging from Sherlock Holmes' struggle with the evil professor Moriarty government auctions of the electromagnetic spectrum which illustrate the essential ideas
0: so uh all right so i can't read it why well, not yeah i'm not going to get all that stuff
1: I, I but might, you can I read get... it and and tell me all about right. it but give,
0: give the title again
1: oh give the title it's you just yeah, it, I it, it right, right here it. it's uh, the man from the future the visionary life of john von neumann
0: right there
1: you have
0: it all right yeah you I... can all pr- also pronounce it von neumann
1: I think the correct is von Neumann. I
0: think, the, I think you're absolutely correct, but I think some people are going to change it to Newman. I hope
1: not.
0: Yeah. So, well, it's hard to follow such a fun genius like that. Yeah. But um, I, I saw a little uh, article, uh, oh, museum update, I guess this is, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. If you're heading out to the British Museum this spring, yeah, yeah you can see a nice big exhibition on Stonehenge. Great, it's there till uh, through July 17th. Yeah, Stonehenge is pretty interesting, Daniel. Yeah. You've never been there, the kids You've been and I there. have been there, You've been there. and uh, it definitely was a good time. It definitely is an interesting place to be. It feels interesting, mm-hmm. uh, there's something about it. They don't let you walk around the monument itself mm-hmm. up close and personal anymore, you have to stay at a distance, right? I think, but um, it's definitely worth seeing. And the, the problem is, what the heck. Is it? You know, I mean, you know, we're talking about those rings of giant stones um, in uh, this, you know, the Salisbury Plain. It's not far from Bath in uh, England. And um, they're huge, but, you know, the megathons. Uh, what were they for? It's uh, hard to figure. People have all kinds of theories. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are theories about how they were built, maybe by aliens. Maybe it's an alien landing pad. Uh, maybe it was built uh, by, uh, you know, Merlin and his troops. Uh, how, you know, how is it possible? These, the smaller stones weigh like, I don't know, two tons. The big stones weigh 80 tons. It's crazy. Um so was it an astronomical calendar? When I was teaching the survey course, uh, Caves to Cathedrals, the book always said uh, that, uh, you know, it, you know, the latest research shows uh, postulates that it was some kind of astronomical ancient calendar. This is all built 5,000 years ago. As you might know, um, it was before writing prehistoric okay so about uh they won't get writing till the romans invade about 2500 years later um so anyway this is an interesting exhibition because it shows, it's showing some of the latest research, the more recent research about, uh, the objects and about what it might be. One of the most interesting things to me is they have actually found the remains, uh, of it. It's called Durrington Walls of what they think is kind of a temporary, um, builder's camp, builder's city. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it took a long time, to build Stonehenge. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a little town. It looks like it might have had about a 1,000 houses, maybe 4,000 people were living there. But what's interesting about what they're finding is what they can do with the remains now. They can do this uh, kind of thing called analysis of stable isotopes on, you know, they're, they're finding in this Durrington Walls area, right near uh, the Stonehenge, they're finding, you know, stones, bits of pottery, bits of flint, you know, um, various objects. They can actually analyze analyze those things now um, and find out from the tooth enamel. They can study tooth enamel to find out climatic changes, Okay, yeah. and also where the tooth has been. Okay, what kind of geological uh, migration, mobility, they really? can tell the diets, they really? can tell all this cool stuff really? um, by studying the isotopes of these you know, little remains in these burial areas. They've, they found, I don't know, this one area like 150, um, no, more than that. A lot of uh, burials. So there's that, okay? They're also getting better and better. When I say they, I mean, you know, the scientific people, mm-hmm. the archaeologists, etc. can now do more with ancient DNA mm-hmm. and uh, figure things out that they couldn't figure out a few years ago. So this is all going to tell us a lot more. We're never going to know the real story, are we? Because there was no writing at the time. but. <laughs> What's interesting about the current speculation is that uh, it was built during a time of drastic population decline and dispersal, and that they seem to be somebody who seemed to be trying to create a sense of community and collaboration. You know, like things are going south. we got to pull together, you know, bring the community together. What's better than a big giant project that we all have to work together on? And uh, it might be some kind of monument of remembrance. I mean, there there are burials, uh, cremated remains and, you know, remains that have been found in holes from the different phases. The Stonehenge was built in... uh, A bunch of different phases. There were holes at first, then there were the small two ton stones, and then there were the big um, megathons, the big stones, the sarsen stones. The sarsen stones, by the way, took a thousand people to move, and they were brought from 15 miles away. So you have a thousand people. Uh, working to move these. And that, this is so
1: really hard to. It's to hard to imagine, but yeah. somehow
0: it was done. Unless Merlin or the aliens did it, yeah. they you know even the small the two ton stones came from Wales. Yeah, I think that's 150 miles away. All right. Okay, um, so it's still it's a magnificent mystery, but uh, the way they're chipping away at this with the latest technology is fascinating. Uh, you know. Uh, be fun to see. Now you're making me talk about more art stuff, all lumped together. Uh, next little museum update is the Met Museum just bought an Italian Renaissance bronze right. rondel, yeah. like a um, a round plaque of bronze with some gilding, for twenty three million bucks. Okay. It's like the second most expensive thing they've ever bought. I thought they were having trouble financially. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, here's the story. In 2003, they could have bought it for a lot less. And they didn't. They got outbid, apparently. And uh, the curator at the time, James David Draper, was quite disappointed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when he died, he left them a significant bequest that
1: facilitated this purchase. It must have been real significant because it's Well, it says his
0: money and money from other sources. Okay. So anyway, it's a a nice looking, it's by Gianmarco Cavalli. Yeah. It's from about 1500. Mm. It's a Roman mythological scene. Venus is sitting with Cupid on her lap, gazing at Mars. Yeah. Her boyfriend, her lover, mm-hmm. while her husband, Hephaestus, or Vulcan, as they say, um, was uh, um, making a helmet, I think for Mars at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole, that's a whole great story of uh, um, Hephaestus being married to Aphrodite. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a fun, yeah, and and for some reason, uh, Venus has wings. I'm not up on that you know cupid ends up with wings cupid does not have wings in that picture um in that uh artwork but so anyway so the met um somehow they're struggling along uh even though no one is going there
1: you didn't mention people weren't wearing too much in the way of clothes in this thing
0: you dan yeah that's understood (laughs) we're talking greek or roman art renaissance art and uh, Greek or Roman stories. We're talking about no clothing. Well, it sort of add something
1: to the gazing at the other guy, gazing at Mark. But all right, fine.
0: Oh yeah, there, there was uh, there was nothing discreet or intellectual about their relationship. Okay. Uh, believe me. All right. Um, and then back to our um, buddy Henry Darger. You know, yeah. we talked about his, his you know outsider art. Right. And uh, that just uh, last week, just last week, and you had um, this whole horde of his. <laughs> Output in his apartment, and uh, he had given it to his. He was in a nursing home by the time he died, and he had told his landlord to uh, you know take care of it. It was um, his, and some. Meanwhile, some uh, relatives have appeared,
1: right? And they say it's claiming there.
0: claiming rights, yeah, um, and you know the. The landlords, the learners, uh, seem to do very responsible work. Yeah.
1: Um, but on the other hand, under the law... And they, they, and no they
0: made a lot of
1: money. Right. Uh, but now, so... Um, they had no legal rights to it, necessarily, although they say that Dorger told them uh, that it was theirs to do with what they want. Anyway, the hearing has been postponed about this. Interestingly, um,
0: so the... Uh,
1: Um, Well, the judge is is questioning whether, in fact, these relatives are really relatives. I mean, he's beginning to... Yeah, but
0: this is interesting, too. Kyoko um, Lerner. Yeah. um, One of the landlord's wife. The landlord's wife. The landlord has passed away. And uh, she said she didn't even know about the hearing until the Times called her up to ask about it. Yeah. And so, anyway, um, so so they complained. Yeah. Uh, they protested. Uh, but uh, also, um, the judge, I think, said, uh, seemed to think there were a lot of holes yeah. in the family's court documents. Well,
1: well, well, let me just make one observation. What? There's a little difference between Ancestry.com and proving lineage in court. Okay? So, uh, that's that's what they've got to fill in the gap, Well,
0: so this right. was... Um, This was Hair Search. Search, H-E-I-R-Search, a forensic genealogy research company. Right. We'll we'll see how they did. So who uh, gave the information. All right. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, that's
1: going to be a court battle. But the judge is skeptical, which is interesting.
0: But it's all about
1: the money, isn't it? Always. Except for this guy. So finally, we're going to finish by talking about Paul Farmer. And, And we have, you know... Talked already about two people, which are kind of impressive and uh, hard to fathom, given them what they we're able to accomplish—maybe books on tape or whether von Neumann's uh, discoveries in math and physics. Kind of amazing; you can't even identify. Well, here, same thing. Paul Farmer, uh, described as a giant of public health, passed away at the age of 62, and uh, he was a physician who devoted his life to improving healthcare in the most destitute corners of the world. Uh, And what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, Rwanda, uh, Haiti, uh, places like that, uh, poor areas of Peru. Uh, He established uh, an organization called Partners in Health, which now has substantial facilities in those places. He spearheaded uh, uh, campaigns against diseases uh, such as uh, drug-resistant tuberculosis, Uh, AIDS, Ebola. He provided uh, surgery and uh, chemotherapy in places where all sorts of illness and injuries are typically gone untreated. He was uh, pretty much a medical missionary, Uh, although, um, well, I shouldn't say although, very well-educated, associated with uh, Harvard Medical School. So he had some real clout behind him, and ultimately he attracted enough attention that he had some real funds behind him, some real philanthropy uh, behind him. And he had made, apparently, a tremendous impact. So much so, he is compared in the press to Albert Schweitzer. Hmm. Um, And uh, he was also the subject of a book by uh, Tracy Kidder. Tracy Kidder has won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, House was one of his books that I read. He's a well-known author. He wrote a book about Paul Farmer called Mountains Beyond Mountains, The Quest of Paul Farmer, A Man Who Would Cure the World, some 20 years ago. And he actually contributed an article to the New York Times the other day about Paul Farmer uh, saying this guy was just uh, unbelievable. He wanted to be the world's doctor. He traveled with him. He was uh, uh, legitimately totally devoted to health care. He did everything for his patients. And uh, it's kind of remarkable. Um,
0: Well, it's a great loss.
1: Yeah. He wasn't that old. No, he's 62. They have a quote from Anthony Fauci saying that Farmer stands out as one of the most influential global health figures of our time. And I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, Fauci apparently knew him pretty well. Again, continuing Fauci on Farmer, he sacrificed personal comfort to go into the trenches with the people he cared for. He was a -a once-in-a-lifetime person. He loved the people he took care of, and they loved him back. I, you know, there's not a lot to say, but when you just you read a pe- about people like this, um, you just kind of uh, shake your head. Um, it's just amazing. Um, you know, they have uh, in one article they one article they talk about one exchange uh, in which uh, he says, "Farmer says, you know, people come up to me and say, um, uh, you know, you're a saint." And he said, uh, "He says that's silly because that's inaccurate. But he's but this is farmers. People call me a saint, and I think I have to work harder because a saint would be a great thing to be. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. that's right. So, any anyway, event, yeah, just another person. It's just you, just look great at that, and uh, you're just going to shake your head, you know? Okay, so that's all we have. Uh, big week for birthdays, and uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll give you a report on that. Uh, look." In March. Yep, yeah, this is Tamsin Granger. March. Tamsin Granger and Dan Abuloff
0: you off. Tamson and Dan read the paper. We'll see you next week. Bye.